0: All right. We're finally back once again with the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. Kind of took a short little hiatus, but you are here with co-host,
1: father and son duo, uh, Jim and Andrew Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing I'm doing great. So this next guest has been a long time coming. I think we booked him a while ago. We finally... Managed to get a date and time, and uh, this is going to be great. Give us the intro, Andrew. Yeah, so we are also in partnership with the Black and Gold
0: Hockey Productions. so please welcome today our guest, Ryan Duncan. So Ryan played in various leagues as a teenager, most notably last year in the BCHL, British and, Columbia
1: Hockey League, and he later
0: committed to the University of North Dakota for the next four years, was a Hobie Baker winner his sophomore year, and then was later captain his senior year for the team. After graduating in 2009, Ryan began his pro career, Um, a short stint in the AHL, and then began full-time work in Austria. From 2009 until 2019, Ryan continued playing professionally all over the world from the American Hockey League, Austria's Premier League, and in Germany as well. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Ryan Duncan. How are you doing today, man?
2: Hey, guys. Jim Andrew. Thanks for having me. Uh, Great research. Holy cow, you dug deep for that one. So thanks a lot for having me on. Looking forward to talking some hockey.
0: Absolutely, man. So, yeah, Ryan, I just want to start uh, first with your teenage playing days. Um, I mean, first of all, you absolutely dominated wherever you played. Um, and You really showed your talent and you scored 91 points in the, the British Columbia Hockey League in 57 games. So obviously, North Dakota was not the only option um, that you probably had as far as picking which university you wanted to go to. Um, so what kind of led to your decision on picking North Dakota?
2: Yeah, I, I had a little interest. I committed to University of North Dakota during my senior year Senior year when I was at Shattuck St. Mary's. Um, had a little interest from other schools, but kind of a little background on me and my family is my dad played at the University of North Dakota in uh, the late 60s, early 70s, and my mom also went there uh, for school, and she's from a small town not too far away from Grand Forks, North Dakota in Roseau, Minnesota. So We have a little history with the University of North Dakota. Um, It wasn't necessarily pushed like, hey, you got to go to North Dakota or nothing else. It was more um, growing up in Calgary, Alberta. The big thing was major junior hockey. Um, My dad and my mom always pushed me to look at college hockey. Hey, it's a great option. And kind of when the time came and I was lucky enough to start getting recruited by some of these schools, um, you know, I was open to any option. And uh, as soon as kind of North Dakota came in the mix and uh, felt like I was going to have a good opportunity there, I, I, I jumped at it and I was very grateful and I couldn't believe I could get the opportunity to play at such a, a great school and uh, for a great hockey program.
1: What were Some other universities that were recruiting you pretty hard.
2: So my first visit that I went on was University of Nebraska, Omaha, which I loved. Went for an official visit down there. They had a beautiful, beautiful city down in Omaha and awesome rink. And they were kind of building the program. And uh, as you can see, they've done a pretty good job of building it up to what it is today. One of my last visits, I only think I ended up going on three official visits. And I, I kind of went up to the uh, University of Minnesota Duluth uh, right before I went to North Dakota and, and visited with coach Scott Stan- Sandlin, who's a former North Dakota guy himself and, um, tour around the the city there and, uh, hear about what kind of what they were building. And obviously that has come to fruition too. So get to, uh, to see that. And then just, uh, yeah, j- just to, to experience, you know, the being with the guys who were already playing on the team and, and the lifestyle they were living and, um, what great athletes they were, and how committed they were, and to see how they approached things. You know, it was it was quite the experience for a senior in high school, and um, definitely learned a lot from each visit, and kind of took that with me onto junior hockey in the BC Junior League, and then onto my college career in North Dakota.
1: So in North Dakota, I mean, you're playing with you know good people, uh, great players. Uh, you know, listeners to our podcast have figured out that you know hockey. We talked about it off here. Ryan is is a pretty small community. A lot of people play with or play against, and uh, uh, everybody. So uh, you had uh, some teammates, right, T.J. Oshie and, uh, and Taves on your team. You played a little bit with uh, uh, Sidney Crosby back in your uh, St. Mary's days, I think, right? So you, you're playing with good companies. You have a great season. I mean, you get 31 goals, 57 points in 43 games your sophomore year. You're nominated for the Hobie Baker, and then you win that. Take us through that season. What a season, 57 points, 43 games, and you get the Hobie Baker Award. Bring us through that experience.
2: Yeah, it was kind of a whirlwind season. Um, it kind of built off of our for my freshman year. Um, we had a great team my freshman year at North Dakota. We had six first-round draft picks on that team, and we really finished strong. We won the WCHA playoffs, had a great chance at winning the national title, unfortunately fell a little short. But going into my sophomore year, we just felt like uh, the group we had had a lot of confidence. We had a lot of chemistry that was already just building. Um, and then obviously to get the opportunity to play with great players like TJ Oshi and Jonathan Taves, that kind of, uh, you know, just kind of skyrocketed things. So we had a tough s- start as a team, a uh, really slow start. Lost some games that we really sh- thought we should have won, but kind of had a serious team meeting around Christmas time. And when, when everybody came back, Jonathan Taves went over and uh, had a special moment with team Canada, won the world junior championship, scoring a bunch of goals in the shootout and everybody kind of came back and was refreshed in the new year. And we went on a huge run and kind of the team success led to a lot of my individual success. Cause we just got on a roll, big time, momentum, things went in the right direction, beat some really good teams, beat the university of Minnesota. Uh, who was ranked number one, uh, I think it was in January or February of the new year. And then that kind of just propelled us, you know, to, uh, to having some good team success. And then for me, you know, out of the blue unexpected to be nominated for the Hobie Baker award, you know, and uh, to end up in the top 10 was a thrill. And then the final three, the Hobie hat trick was, was unexpected, especially as a sophomore. So I was kind of just happy to be there and, you know, the whole experience just kind of riding that wave and, you know, hanging on for dear life with Taves and OSHI and those guys just make great plays and I'd be uh get my stick open and tr- hope to hit the open net. You know, it was uh it was quite the experience and something that I will uh never forget as a hockey player because you're kinda you're you're riding that momentum and you never want it to stop.
1: So people will mention, you know, the OSHI and Taves, you know, because they're well known players in the NHL, but uh, certainly, that team was uh, an unbelievable team for the four years there. Who were some of the other guys that were just unbelievable players that might not have made it to the NHL per se, but just super players.
2: Might not have made it to the NHL. We had some. I mean, we had a lot of unheralded guys who kind of you know always made their mark on the North Dakota program. Two guys that come to mind right now are Robbie Bina, who uh, who is a smaller defenseman who had a great career in Germany and he, he went through a big time uh, battle of adversity because he broke his neck during his college career. Um, I think my freshman year, he didn't even play, came back my sophomore year, uh, earned a spot on our top power play unit with with myself, uh, Taylor Chorney, Jonathan Taves and TJ Osi. So that kind of shows you that the talent level that we had in our team, Robbie, Put in so much hard work to get himself back to playing shape, not only, but then to be uh, you know placed on that top unit, which he earned. Um, Another guy that kind of comes to mind is Mario Lamroo, who you know didn't put up huge stats in college at all, but really epitomized you know the kind of the North Dakota way, the heart and soul. Ended up being a captain his senior year, and then I had the good fortune of playing against him in Europe, where he had a great career, and he he. uh, went on to play and, and score, put up some big numbers in Europe and, and, uh, be, become a fantastic pro. And that was kind of just like the, those are two examples of kind of the what North Dakota embodies. And, you know, it's not, yeah, yeah. You get the stars there and everybody knows their names and they're very important to the program, but there's, uh, there's guys who are just kind of heart and soul who really will, uh, the team along, especially went through those tough moments. Cause you're not going to have, you know, the superstars every year, hopefully you recruit well and get that. But, uh, Uh, North Dakota does a good job of getting really good uh, character guys. Yeah, so before you
0: attended college, and correct me if I'm wrong at all, you actually participated in the the St. Louis Blues developmental camp, right? And then after that, you did receive some uh, offers to play professional hockey, but instead you did choose to go to uh, uh, North Dakota. So what led your decision to go to North Dakota instead of just go ahead and start to make money and play professionally?
2: So that time, the timeline on that, I went to St. Louis's camp after I won the Hobie Baker. So that was after my sophomore year. I did have some opportunities to turn pro after I won my Hobie Baker season. But I just decided as a smaller player, um, if I was good enough, I was going to get the opportunity to play pro hockey anyways. And I thought that it was probably in my best interest to get my education. That was really important to my family, to my parents. Um, had, Had the opportunity to sign after my junior year as well but decided against it and probably gave up my opportunity to play on in the NHL, looking back on it now, but I would never trade the experience that I had in uh, going to college. There's nothing quite like, you know, you, you don't really uh, appreciate it until you're gone. And I think guys even who go on to play in the NHL would say that, you know, it's, it's such a finite time in your life. You can never go back and enjoy that experience and kind of have that, you know, that time with kids who are 18 to 24 years old, all kind of in the same place at life. Um, once you go to pro hockey, it's, it's a business, you know, you're, you're playing, you're dealing with people who have families and they're supporting their families and college is still, you know, you got that school spirit and everybody's kind of pulling at the, at the same rope. you know? So it's a, uh, it's a special thing to be a part of. And I'm very thankful that I ended up getting my degree and uh, getting that full college experience. Where'd you get your degree in? Uh business management.
0: Cool, cool. Um, so I do want to ask as you did progress to your university days, you kind of just mentioned uh, you know, you were pretty undersized, five, six, one sixty-five. You know, we hear analysts now, especially with the last draft that happened, it was like it was a joke on Twitter how many times they're obsessed with being over six foot. That's all we heard six foot, six foot. Did you ever? I mean, you had kind of just said it. I mean, if you're good enough, you're gonna make it, but was size really ever concerned with you? Was it ever concerned with like your coaches
1: and your career? I mean, your future at that point or was size actually a factor in success too. I think yeah. you might want to ask that.
2: I never believed personally that size was a factor in my success whatsoever, but I heard it all the way growing up. I was always a smaller player. I was never a guy who like grew early and then, you know, kind of stopped growing. I was always one of the smaller players people used to tell my dad that, Oh, he'll never play Peewee. Oh, he'll never play Bantam. Oh, he'll never play under 18. You know, he'll never make it to junior so on and so forth, but it was kind of fuel for me. It was, uh, you know, I always believed in myself. I had a great support system who believed in me that was important. Um, and oops, sorry about that. Can you hear me? And, uh, yeah. And, uh, and then, so just, uh, just to, you know, I, I, I really just believed in myself and um, never thought it was a detriment uh, to be a smaller player whatsoever, especially in the game of hockey. I thought, I thought it, it gave me an advantage in some ways. And I just learned that I had to play to my strengths. I was never going to, you know, outmuscle somebody. So I wasn't going to try to do that. And it, uh, I think it helped develop my hockey sense in some ways. And then, uh, no, it, it was a sense of pride. I'm definitely, uh, you know, it was never my goal to play in the NHL. I didn't think that was a realistic goal. It was my goal to play college hockey. That was the number one goal for me. Um, And once I got there and started to have a little success, then it was like, okay, well, maybe I can play pro hockey. And then to end up playing 10 years of pro hockey, that was just a bonus. That was unheard of for a five foot six kid. You know, there's, that's, there's a lot of guys. I mean, there's, there's some guys who have gone on to have great careers as smaller players, but there were definitely still the exceptions.
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So before we move on to your pro career, I do get to ask. So your coach at North Dakota, Tom Ward, what were your experiences like playing under him? And was he, I always say, oh man, you know, he must've had such an impact on you. And some of our guests would be like, no, I hated my coach. So I want to be careful, <laughs> but what were your experiences with Tom? Uh, because he seems to be a, a highly respected coach and uh, players really like him.
2: Yeah. So I'll, I'll correct you one second, but I, so Tom Ward was my coach at Shattuck St. Mary's oh, I'm and sorry. he was, yeah, he was my, he was a fantastic coach. Um, he, he made such a huge impact on me and my life, not just, not just hockey wise. He made me a better hockey player without a doubt, but he made me a better person. He, when, when I went to Shattuck at 17 years old, he basically taught me how to pro- be a professional at that age. Um, he has built up that Shattuck program and made, Great young men and great young hockey players, and uh, you want to talk about a wonderful experience. I think every kid should get to experience Shattuck Saint Mary's. My coach at uh, at North Dakota was Dave Haxtell, who's the new coach at uh, in Seattle, right? And that was kind of continuation of getting to play for for Coach Ward at Shattuck. He was just uh, Coach Haxtell treated me so well. He was uh, he was a demanding and uh, he really kept good really did a good job of keeping people accountable and he was big on character He was big on the tradition of North Dakota and we knew we had to live up to that every single day and uh to see his success in the pros now and he, he deserved every little bit of it he, he he really continued that um momentum of just helping us become better pros um better individuals that, uh, you know, whether you went on and played hockey or, or involved in something else with your life, you know, you, you remember those times at North Dakota fondly and, uh, s- took some very positive characteristics with you.
1: So what, what I've, what I've heard and, and read a little bit about with, with coach Ward is that he was, and you had mentioned it, you know, not just teaching you about hockey, but it's off the ice. What are some of the things? Cause some of the things that I've heard about is, is, you know, teaching you guys to, trying to to transition from boys to men, but also from, you know, amateur to possible athlete. What were some of the things he did for the players to help make that transition of guys, this isn't just a hockey team. You need to be men. You need to be professional. You need to take care of yourself. Those are the kind of stories that I, I heard about coach.
2: Yep. And that's spot on. And that's what he did for me. It was as simple as not taking a shower before you go to school. He'd walk into the school and be like, kind of, what are you doing? Like, go, go back, get yourself done up, tuck your shirt and what's going on here. Like, it's kind of, you're a representative of the school. You're a representative of the team, you know, be a leader, you know, and he really taught me a lot about, you know, if your life is kind of chaotic outside of the ice or outside of the rink, you know, a lot of that, a lot of the times that will translate to on the ice. So get your life buttoned up outside of the rink. And then you can really, truly take care of what's going on on the ice. Um, so he did a lot of that. He, I remember I was, like you mentioned, I played with Sidney Crosby. I was roommates with him. And he was two years younger than me. And I remember having a meeting with Coach Ward because Sidney was having a little easier time in school than I was. And Coach Ward just sat me down. He's kind of like, this kid is 15 years old. He's two years younger than you. Like, basically, he was saying to me, this kid is a pro. Why aren't you a pro? Like he's two years younger than you. Like figure it out. Um, but in in only the way that he that Coach Ward can because you never doubted that he cared about you. That was kind of the you know the difference between he wasn't a, a dictator and just screaming at you and telling you you're you know you're you're an idiot. You don't know what you're doing. He was you know he was trying to help you and uh, you really knew he cared and he wanted to make you a better individual and a better hockey player and. There's so many moments like that. I know there's you're, – you're dealing with high school kids, teenage kids, and they're going to do silly things. Yeah. And yeah. He, uh, he, he always seemed to push the right buttons and get everybody kind of back on track. And, uh, you know, I'm b- very thankful for uh, his mentorship and his friendship going forward.
0: So I don't know how to maybe word this correctly. So if you don't understand me, let me know. I can try and word it better. But when you had played with Sidney Crosby you're on the same team as him, I always imagine, especially when you're younger in your teenage days, when you have, like, the Shane Ryder, Connor McDavid, as they're 15 years old, all the hypes around them and everything, what does that do to, like, the, I mean, the locker room energy maybe or um, just the, that that team uh, uh, vibe altogether? Does that change anything? Is he still act like a normal player? I mean, was it what was that like having somebody of his caliber at that time on your
2: team? Yeah, it was – It's it it really I really enjoyed it getting to play with Sydney and playing with a guy like Johnny, where you got players who have a lot of buzz. It kind of raises the level of the room, especially with two guys like that, where they're just normal people and you see the way they work and you can't help. But seeing people that players that talented who work that hard, you kind of you kind of can't help yourself, you know, but like I'm not doing enough. If those guys are doing that and they're that good, I need to, you know, get myself going here and, you know, not almost like not let them down because you just, uh, you know, they're something special, even at a young age, you, you just, you wanted to make, you know, I don't, I don't know if you want to make them proud, but you want to, you know, you want to live up to kind of what their status is. Cause at the same time, you believe, I believed at the same, at that point that, you know, I could be players at the same level as them. So they were such a good uh, measuring stick, I would say. And my kind of game plan being around those guys is I would just be a sponge. Just there is a reason why those guys were the best players in the world at the time. So I was going to watch them and I got a front row seat. I was so lucky. I just picked and choose, you know, what those guys did every day and copied them. And the rest, you know, would take care of itself.
0: So was it, I mean, you said you were roommates with them. So did he have any like... uh personal habits that, you know, maybe rubbed off on you that were positive? I mean, did he do like a lot of extra work? Did he kick back? I mean, what were some of the things you experienced with them as roommates?
2: The two, the two, or the one thing that sticks out to me about both Sydney and Johnny is they both slept more than any person I've ever been around any hockey player, especially at a, at that kind of age where, you know, you got other influences kind of pulling you in different directions as a teenager. Those guys made it a priority to get their recovery. And that was kind of before the big, like now sleep is obviously, everybody knows about it. You got all the sleep trackers and nutrition's big, but those guys really understood, Hey, it was important to drink a lot of water, get your sleep. And those guys were always well-recovered. They were like I said, very normal people, and they went out and did things that young teenage boys did, but nothing was more important than being a good hockey player. That was kind of their full commitment. Everything that they did, they weren't going to jeopardize their future. Uh, any day that was going to you know, make them a better hockey player, they weren't going to do anything to jeopardize that. So that's kind of what I took away from it mostly. Um, they're both just freakishly driven so they just always looking to get better, never satisfied. Um, that was kind of the two, you know, standout characteristics to me.
1: So you graduate and, uh, and now it's time for you, uh, assuming you get your, you know, your, your, your bachelor's degree in business management, but you're like, I think I can make some money here being a pro uh, it, it, on, on the stats. It says you, you got a handful of games in the AHL. I assume you kind of jumped on somewhere and you got a taste of, uh, I guess you could say real men hockey for the first time, but then you ink a deal, um, over mm-hmm. in, in Austria. So, uh, having guests on, uh, we certainly know that European, particularly that elite league over in Austria, uh, pay a lot better than the AHL, but not to steal your thunder, but take us through that, that moment of you got to decide, all right, where am I going to sign as a pro? What's best for me? Uh, you know, what led you to the decision to, uh, go over there and play in the elite league?
2: So, yeah, after my senior year, I went and played in Bridgeport, Connecticut for, uh, the New York Islanders farm team in the AHL. And I had a great experience there. It was night. It was really fun. They, uh, they had a great team. Unfortunately, I didn't really get a chance to play in the playoffs. So that kind of put a little sour taste in my mouth at that time um, decided to go back to North Dakota, finish up my degree, which was awesome. But then I kind of went into the summertime and didn't really know what was going to happen. Didn't, uh, my goal was always, especially at that time was to hopefully get an NHL contract, but that never came. So then I was kind of looking, you know, what were my options? What were my options? I think I got an offer from a team in Denmark. And then this offer from this team in Austria came in Salzburg, sponsored by Red Bull. Um, and it just so happened, they. They uh, were interested in me and one of my former Shattuck, uh, St. Mary's teammates, Michael Gergen. So they offered us both, and that was kind of exciting to us both to be able to go together. And that was a big part of it. Um, I had known uh, Jordy Parisi was the goalie, Zach's uh, older brother. He, uh, he had played in Salzburg the year before, and that su- said nothing but good things. So decided to, to make the jump. Um, had no idea, you know, that Austria even had hockey had no idea what I was getting into and uh, went over there. We had to spend the whole summer there, actually, first summer. And uh, that was kind of a great way to get acclimated. Wasn't sure what to expect, but uh, ended up being one of the best decisions that uh, I ever made.
0: Yeah, so over those next two years, I mean, you were tearing it up in Austria and you had solidified yourself as a point-per-game player that whole time. But then after two seasons, I believe you came back to America and actually played one full season in the American Hockey League and then later uh, went back and finished your career overseas. Um, what led to your departure from the American Hockey League and to go back overseas? Was it pay? I mean, was it, what, what was it?
2: So uh, I've always been a big fan of the game of hockey, right? And I always there was always part of me that believed that I could play in the NHL. So I wanted to go back and, and try it out in the NHL and give it a real go, you know, play a full season. It was such a wonderful experience being in uh, Portland, Maine for Arizona's farm team at the time. We had a really great group. Um, Unfortunately, we fell just short of the playoffs, but we had a really fun year. And it was really cool for me, like I said, being a fan, being so close to the NHL, seeing who gets called up, you know, see who gets sent down, kind of all the inner workings of how that works. So, and I was, I was happy with my year. I think I had, uh, performed well. I was proud of, you know, my abilities on the ice. Um, but just decided after the year that, Hey, I probably wasn't going to get the opportunity to play in the NHL that I wanted. Uh, I really enjoyed my experience over in Europe. And I thought that that was probably just a better fit for my style of play to go over there. So, um, I was lucky enough that Salzburg was willing to take me back and, you know, kind of decided to make the jump for good there and finished uh, the rest of my career over in Europe.
0: And how would you compare um, that the Austrian league that you played for compared to the American Hockey League talent wise? I mean, the, the type of game that they play and what, what is it comparable to that?
2: Yeah, the way I would compare it is the AHL. It's a, it, the game is especially at that time was really played in the corners. So I, I would say um, the AHL game is more about puck, puck protection. So you got to, it. It pays off to have some of those bigger bodies, or be able to win those one-on-one puck battles to protect the puck, uh, especially on the smaller ice surface. That's very beneficial. And then in Europe, I would say it's more of a soccer-style game, so it'd be more about puck possession. So there's a lot more, a lot more freewheeling and skating, a lot more room to operate. Um, but in saying that, like the skill level is still very high. So it's a really challenging game. Uh, both styles of hockey, I really enjoyed because they are, you've, you've got skillful people and players in both leagues. You got tough players, aggressive players in both leagues. Um, and it, it, it definitely brought out different parts of you as a player. So it was uh, that year that I spent in the HL. I thought was really beneficial to to make me a better player going forward.
1: So with the uh, sort of openness, puck possession, but yet smaller ranks over there, I believe smaller ranks, uh, w- w- what was it like uh, to play in those type of rinks? I mean, it, it just seemed like big open game, but not a lot of room.
2: Yeah. So the yeah, it was the the ice surface is bigger itself oh, it's actually. So okay, yeah, I I was bigger. Small. Okay. Yeah. So you got it like the hash marks. You have I think it's either five or ten more feet on each side outside of the hash marks. So it's just it uh, it gives you a little more room to play with, but it's also a little more room that you have to get through to get to the net so if you have teams who know how to defend you know it's 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 not easy to score on the uh the international ice as well
1: so it depends we've had a lot of european uh players on the podcast um was there a lot of english spoken was there a mixed language what was it like for you uh playing over there
2: this was one of my fears going over to europe i had no idea what to expect like am i going to have to learn a brand new language. They speak German in Austria. I was like, I have no idea that language seems so foreign to me. Right. (laughs) But then you get over there and you quickly realize, especially in kind of the Western European countries, English is the language of business. So kind of everybody knows how to speak English, especially the younger generation. So we get over there or I got over there and, uh, my coach is from Quebec, Pierre Paget. So he speaks English. Um, all the Austrian guys know how to speak English and half of our team was from North America. So pride, uh, predominantly we spoke English, um, which was a huge comfort. Um, it's not like that everywhere in Europe. So to have, you know, half the team from North America makes you really feel at home. And then obviously the, the Austrians are speaking in their native language of German. And, um, as I went on, I certainly didn't learn enough German. I wasn't fluent enough, especially for the time that I spent there, but, it was fun to kind of learn their language and, and do my best to, you know, engage in conversation with them. Because obviously, I I think that's important, too. You're in their country. You should probably learn to speak their language.
1: Yeah. So um, you, you did skip up to Munich for a season. But I think I remember either hearing you uh, in an interview or reading it that uh, uh, you kind of jumped up there because of the coach that you just mentioned.
2: Is that is that a, yep. is that right? Yeah, that's correct. He uh, so he he made the move from Salzburg um, to Munich. Both teams were sponsored by Red Bull. So Red Bull uh, uh, had started a new team in Munich, and they had brought Pierre Paget to to be the coach there. And he asked me if I wanted to go along with them. And it was a little bit of a decision. A great coach in Don Jackson, um, who's now the coach at Munich, uh, was in Salzburg that year, and it would have been fantastic to have the opportunity to play for him. But I decided that Pierre. Paget gave me my start in pro hockey and I felt loyal to him and um, I, I wanted to continue on with him and, and, and follow him to Munich and uh, that was an awesome experience too getting to play in a fantastic city like Munich we would have uh, loved to have a little more success as a team but they've certainly it, uh, built that program into a juggernaut uh, as it should be now.
0: So you had committed eight total years playing for Salzburg in Austria. So what does that city mean to you after spending so much time?
2: It's it's a second home to me. It really is. I I went there as a single man, uh, freshly out of college, not knowing much about life and um, got to become a pro. Had some great mentors on that team who had been playing pro hockey for a long time who kind of showed me the ropes. Got to play for some great coaches, win some championships, get to uh, bring my wife over there first off, then have uh, a child uh, who joined us, you know, the last, at the tail end of my career, but uh, to play eight years in one of the most beautiful cities in the world, uh, one of the most scenic cities in the world uh, with so, so much great tradition, you know, to, to enjoy the food, enjoy the people, to get to travel around that region, I kind of pinched myself to to be a part of four championship teams in eight years. Um, Tremendous memories made with with me and my family, getting my family from uh, North America to come over and travel and having a great excuse to come visit us in Europe. Uh, There's so many good parts about being a European hockey player that people don't realize. And uh, I'm very grateful for that experience and getting to play as long as I did in Salzburg.
0: So I know that you you retired in 2019 and COVID hit in 2020, but do you ever plan on visiting that area again? Because I know it's far from probably where you're staying now, but do you plan on visiting again?
2: Yeah, we'd love to, especially we want to bring our kids back and kind of show, um, you know, where we lived for such a long time. So that's definitely... On our list to do, and hopefully we can do that somewhat soon. My wife was actually just texting me today. Oh yeah, the flights. We should go back to Europe here. So um, <laughs> awesome. we'll see. I'm trying to. I'm a rookie in my new job here, so we'll see when that time comes. But no, we're definitely looking forward to get back to getting back to Europe and uh, seeing some places that we got to spend a lot of time in.
1: So we've heard about uh, you know the the fan base just in in, uh, in Europe is more soccer mentality, kind of kind of crazy. But in Salzburg, you know, like you just mentioned, you won four championships. Um, What was the fan base there like? I mean, it might not compare to, say, North Dakota, where I'm sure you had sold out games there. What a crazy arena that is. But what was it like in Salzburg? What was the fans like? What was the electricity or lack of in the building?
2: Yeah, it was just a lot of passion. Like you hit the nail on the head with uh, kind of the soccer mentality. They're chanting. They got their drums going. You know, flares going. Um, especially during the playoffs, the, the city really gets ar- around the team. Um, they're, they're smaller arenas, obviously, than playing in Grand Forks, but uh, really fantastic atmosphere. Everybody feels like, uh, you know, they're, they're right on top of you. It's really loud, really fun environment to play in. And um, just to, you know, that, that was one of the best parts about having success there was celebrating with the fans. They were always so good to us uh, and my family, we really felt a part of the community. To, so to, to, get to know some of those people and, you know, um, build relationships over the year, it, years, it was a pretty special place to be a part of. And uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of impactful people in that area.
1: So bring us uh, just a couple memories here real quick. So uh, kind of your feeling when you sign that first pro contract and with you, Much different because it's like you said, you're packing up and you're moving to, you know, one of the to the Alps, really one of the beautiful place. But it's not like you're going to the NHL or an AHL. I mean, You're going halfway across the world. But you as a player, you you sign your first pro contract. What was that? I mean, it just must be like an unsurreal experience.
2: Yeah. To to uh, to think that to think that somebody was going to pay me to play hockey was really surreal for me it was uh you know I, I never dreamt that that was possible growing up in Calgary like I said it was my dream to play college hockey so to think that I was going to get to go travel the world and somebody was going to pay me to do it um it was quite the it, it was it was not uh it didn't seem like it was something that I would get to enjoy you know so to uh to get that, you know, that feeling, especially in the summertime, but then to realize, Hey, no, it's uh now it's a business. Now you got to go and earn that contract. Um, or if you play well, you can, you can build on that contract. So that was kind of motivating at the same time. It was exciting. Um, but no, it just a thrill to, to think that somebody would be willing, you know, think enough of me to be willing to give me a paycheck to come play the game of hockey.
1: And that first pro goal over in in yeah, I'm sure you remember it. Can you bring us through the first goal? And then was it like a relief or like, yeah, of course, or I'm doing my job, but bring us through the goal first. And then what was your reaction? Like, I mean, bring us through that.
2: Okay. So I think it was in my fourth game of the season and the heat was on because I don't think I had any points in the first three games. So I was (laughs) sweating a little bit and, you know, Eyes are on me, but I think it was just simple. It was, uh, I played center. Um, I won the face off back to the point. Center went to the net and just they, the d took a shot on net and I got the rebound and put it in. Um, it was in Ljubljana, Slovenia, and I'll never forget it. It just felt like uh, a weight was lifted off my shoulders. I think I ended up getting two more assists that game and kind of took off from there. But it was, yeah, like I said, the first three games, nothing. So I was like, they are probably wondering, what did we get ourselves into here? <laughs> Um, but you know, that, that kind of, uh, yeah, I'll never forget that. We can still picture it in my mind now, as soon as that goal went in, it was like, okay, yeah, I can play here kind of thing. And um, so, uh, so what happened from there,
1: what, what, what happened? How'd you score the goal? Was it a good one? Was it just, you tipped it in? It was an open net. Well,
2: it was, I remember somebody on the other team said uh, something all along along the lines of, oh, I wish I could have 30 of those a season. So it was, uh, it was a very simple tap-in goal. It was literally a, a point shot from a, one of our defensemen. The goalie just popped it out right on my stick and I had an open net. It couldn't have been easier. And that's probably the way I needed it at that time because I was probably clutching the stick pretty tight at that point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so before we get to our... Uh, what we call our lightning round, where we're just going to ask you some quick questions about you know, your, your career and your, your memories. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you said you're a rookie in your career now, so you put your business management degree to work. What are you doing uh, these days?
2: So I'm working for a company that supplies a product to the construction industry. I live in, in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we supply uh, a timber mat or a crane mat, it's called. Um, and it's, it's this business that's been built by a bunch of university of Minnesota wrestlers around the same age as me. And I feel very lucky to have landed with this group. It feels like I'm a part of kind of what we talked about with Johnny and Sydney. I feel like I'm a part of something special. So these guys have built something up. I'm just trying to copy them just like I did in hockey. Oh
1: cool, man. Heck yeah. All right, Here's our lightning round. Um, you can answer just with a, a name or a, a one word answer, or if you've got a story, Feel free to share. It's totally up to you. We're just going to go boom, boom, boom. So I'll start first. Go ahead. I assume that I I know the answer to this, but I'll ask. Favorite arena to play in?
2: Ralph Engelstad Arena.
0: Arena with the worst ice conditions.
2: Ah. And I mean, your whole career,
0: even even high school. doesn't matter.
2: Worst ice conditions. Somewhere in Europe, for sure. I'm trying to think what rink um yeah
1: it's like what country well, doesn't do rinks well you know right.
2: yeah um i would say that and i and i didn't mind playing here actually it's uh Cesc- Cesc- Verifar, hungary you'll have to look up there it's a bunch of accents there uh it's a, there's the one team in hungary in the austrian league and sometimes they would have rough ice but great fans love playing there
1: Wow. Okay. Oh, I'm, up. I'm sorry. Hardest goalie to score on in your whole career.
2: Hardest goalie. Jean-Philippe Lamoureux, who was my teammate at North Dakota. I couldn't score on him in, in the Austrian league.
0: Most embarrassing or funniest moment to happen to you while you're on the ice, warm up or a game just while you're on the ice.
2: My last year in Salzburg, I ran into the post. It was in a Champions Hockey League game, which happened to be broadcast live on the NHL network back home, which is never happens. And I just must have lost track where I was on the ice, and I ran into the opposing uh, net right into the post.
1: <laughs> Good Favorite teammate or line mate over the year? I know that's probably going to be a tough one. Um.
2: Probably. Yeah. I've had some good ones. TJ Oshie, Jonathan Taves, uh, great line mates in Europe, uh, special line we had there was Brett Sterling and John Hughes. Both those lines were just tremendous chemistry, uh, make the game so easy to play and just feels like, like I've said, you're riding the momentum with those guys and just on such a high all season long.
0: So not speaking of fighting per se, but who was the toughest player to play against?
2: Toughest player to play against. Um, I really thought Paul Stastny was a really good player when we were in college in Denver. All those Denver teams, Gabe Goche, I thought was a really good player. Um, but I know we were kind of spoiled. Joe Pawalski, when he was at Wisconsin, you could really tell he was a special player. And uh, I, I've been lucky. I The list goes on and on. I can't think of, but uh, had some tremendous battles. Chad Routh at Colorado College, really special player.
1: Was there any player that just had your number that just got under your skin? So not tough to play against per se, but just every time you played, i just got under your skin. Anybody?
2: I'd like to think that I, you know, didn't let anybody really get to me, but I'm (laughs) sure they did. (laughs) I'm sure they did. Um, Probably just guys who, you know, were a little crazy, who you didn't know what they were going to do. Um, I, I can't think of really an example, I guess, maybe like a rich clune when he was in Manchester, when I was in Portland, the last one was Mike Halmo in Bolzano When I was in Salzburg, he always, you know, you had to be aware when he was on the ice. Um, but no, yeah, that was, that was kind of what I prided myself on a little bit too. If, uh, somebody was acting like that, I, you know, I was always taught not to back down.
0: And so I know this is kind of a, a, a broad question, but if you could pin down maybe the first thing that comes to your mind, when I want to say favorite hockey memory in your
1: career.
2: Favorite hockey memory. Um, I've, I've had, I've been lucky. I've had quite a few. I've won a bunch of championships in Salzburg in overtime. I've won or have been a part of teams that have won, you know, two overtime games to go to the frozen four. Um, but there, there's nothing that really tops winning a championship. It's, it's really true. Just getting, being the team that wins your the last game of the season and getting to celebrate with your teammates and the fans. There's nothing quite like it. So pick any of those four championship wins in Salzburg. They were all special in their own way and uh, different journeys to get to that point. So uh, memories that I'll take with me the rest of my life.
1: That is. nice. Well, Ryan, we can't thank you enough for your time here today. And uh, hopefully you had fun talking a little bit about your career. And uh, we just want to thank you for coming on our podcast.
2: Thanks Facebook. a lot, Jim and Andrew. Hey, thanks for having me. I really had a great time.
1: Okay. Ryan Duncan, uh, teammates affectionately call him dunk, I think, but dunk? Okay. Uh, we uh, didn't want to call him that. Cause I'm sure, you know, it's like, you know, we just met him. Right. Yeah. We didn't play him. So humble guy. Look, if I won the Hobie Baker in my sophomore year, uh, I'd be thinking I'm um, really great. And he yeah. was just like, you know what? I had to, I didn't think, you know, maybe I was the right guy for that. Yeah. And I, I mean, what a humble guy. And you know, the career, like you, I mean, he, he, except for the Munich year, I think, you know, he, he was on great teams well, yeah. Salzburg team four
0: national championships. Well, he always performed well too. I mean, if you're a staff person like myself, I mean, you just go on and look at just his goals, assists and points. I mean, he's a point point per game player. So the talent was always there. It's a shame that he was never able to make it to the NHL, of course. But uh, even in the AHL, dude, when he spent that one season, he had, what, 36 points in 60-something games. So dude was great. I just think that maybe, you know, like you said, didn't see his time in the NHL but still wanted to play and went overseas and probably made good money and and did what he loved to do.
1: Well, it's like anything else, you know. I mean, our thing, if our listeners don't know, is musicians. You know, I'm a music professor at a university, and you're a professional drummer. Uh, It's not your full-time gig. But my point being is, um, you know, lots of people should make it to say the NHL or, you know, their highest point in their career, but just for some reason, timing, uh, size opportunity, whatever they, they don't. So, um, certainly, I mean, you know, he was, could have made it to the NHL. He's a smaller guy, but Hey, Brad Marchant, we could go on and on and on, but it seems, uh, he certainly had the goods. And if you guys, uh, We invite you to to look up his records, because if you don't, it's pretty much a a point per game player throughout his career, no matter where he played. So, um, you know, just an awesome hockey player and uh, glad we had him on. And
0: apologies from our end. I say our end more on my end. Uh, been real busy the past couple of weeks. You probably know it's
1: been a little quiet. We've been a little
0: quiet. I've been oh, on slacking the, I'm posting on posting episodes the, on too. The, on the Twitter? Yeah. Well, we're, we're, getting,
1: Twitter out, we're getting one up each week, but there might have been a week that we missed. Yeah.
0: So, uh, you know, but we're getting back on a regular schedule now. Dad, you're back at work and I've got a, a new uh, career opportunity that just happened a couple of weeks ago. So we've been yeah. busy, but we'll get back at it. And uh, um, who do we have next week? Dad, said you're the one that set this one up. You remember who we got next week? Keaton Ellerby of next week. Well, I don't. Sheffield. I don't
1: know if he's going to be up next week or not. We got to lock down a okay. date. He's over in the UK right now playing with Sheffield. Yes. Um, and you know, so I'm trying to lock down a, a date in time. So, uh, you know, we we do have some guests in in the queue that we're trying to line up. So it'll be, it'll be, uh, it'll be great. You know, we should really have some episodes on focusing on uh, young coaches. You know, we talked about his coach. Um, and and, and I think I, I mean, he. I think I made the mistake and said it was his college coach, but I, I didn't mean to say his college coach, but, uh, talking, you know, with, uh, uh our, our friend, Dave Capiano, um, uh, you know, he talks about his, his Mount, um, days as his high school and his hockey coach. And I think that, uh, we should have some episodes of really focusing on, uh, developing young high school, uh, hockey players because a lot of these young coaches, I don't think get their, recognition in the world of hockey it's always about you know the pro coaches but it's really these um, coaches that are developing the teenagers that are have that special knack of teaching them how to be great hockey players great human beings and professionals
0: absolutely absolutely man i had a great time today um don't forget to follow us on all of our social media including we do have a new instagram lindroth hockey podcast so go follow
1: us yeah and so what happened to the old instagram it was like kind of like in instagram jail did we post something we shouldn't have but I, my only guess and it took us down
0: said we violated the terms of service i think i have to put and what i've been doing now is putting uh photo credit oh so it was
1: a copyright. i ratio.
0: think i think i mean that's the only thing i could think of
1: is using yeah. those photos because there's nothing else we would have posted. could just be the system catching something but anyway and some people have asked mm-hmm. us uh sent us messages how come you guys don't have a facebook and it's like at this point in time uh we just don't have the the time and, and resources to yeah. you know do like a social media so our our main one is still going to be twitter and yeah. we do post additional content uh a lot of it re, uh, uh dealing with the boston Bruins and boston Bruins history and hockey in general so please check us out on on twitter if you haven't done that but uh we do have instagram that's going to be good but no we're not on any of the social media we just don't uh we just can't do it at this point in
0: time. Yep. But plus Facebook's about dead anyway. So we'll stick with is Twitter and really? Instagram. Yeah, unfortunately. And plus, you know, not going to lie, uh, you know, for people I don't know, at least for me, because I'm from Florida and I know Florida's kind of a hockey town now, they say. And being from Oklahoma, I don't have too many people on my Facebook that care about hockey. So Twitter and Instagram is the best place for us, in my opinion. So
1: Great. We appreciate everybody. And we'll see you next time. All right. See you all later.